The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We got punt strategy done. We got buckets mostly done. We've analyzed Yahoo's pre-ranks. We've analyzed early ADP data. What, I ask you, is left? You know the answer. I know the answer, too. A couple things, actually. More than one. What's left? We got real mock and real, actual real draft results that we're going to have to start covering. We've got Brewski 150 updates. That's coming tomorrow. And on the Brewski front, you may recall that last week on Aaron's appearance on the podcast, we talked about how next week, which would be this week, we'll be covering the first round. And also at some point, I don't think it's going to be today, but at some point soon, I want to focus really hard on the two areas of the draft that I'm noticing through mock drafts and real drafts are turning out to be trouble spots for me and for other folks drafting players. Where do you get a little bit tongue-tied, drafting tongue-tied, and what do you do about it? Those spots, by the way, are late second round and then no man's land. The beginning of no man's land. Basically, like, figuring out when no man's land starts in advance this year. By the way, the answer is uh, later than usual. Um, not because the pre-rank board is better, but because every draft I've seen so far has been with a whole bunch of analysts, and so all the really good players come off the board super early. So it's almost like a secondary no-man's land. We'll get into all of that. Fear not over the next couple of weeks. Today's show here on Fantasy NBA Today. By the way, hi, everybody. Welcome to Thursday's edition, September the 23rd. Coming down the chute. What are we at now? 26? 26 days until opening night. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, and this is a Hoopball presentation. Please do give me a follow on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. I know this is the time of year when folks are really starting to come back out of the woodwork. I think last year it was uh, the four-week mark Friday. So that would be tomorrow's show. Last season is when there was this massive everybody woke up at the same time moment. And I'm wondering if that doesn't happen this year as well. Thank you for listening. As always, again, uh, Twitter handle is at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google search Dan from Hoopball, or Bing search it. I think it comes up there, too. I haven't actually checked. My bad. Hoopball, hoop-ball.com, the website, at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter. So many cool things going on over there, but we'll tell you about those in the middle of the podcast. I just want, I really wanted to, like, bust out of the shoot today with fantasy discussion. Y'all guys give me a hard time about anything we talk about at the beginning of a podcast that's not in-depth fantasy. I really do take exception to the folks that don't appreciate digging into the why of this stuff. If it was just like, here's the answer to the question, you wouldn't get any better at doing it yourself. I really want to answer the why on a lot of this stuff. But, on the other hand, you guys have been asking... And I know that this is like fantasy crack for actual results to analyze. So that's what we're going to do today. Welcome to the first episode in a multi-part series analyzing the results 
of the Dan Vespers annual Nine Cat Rotomock. Expert Rotomock, I should say. We will start at the top, we will work our way through, and when we are done, we'll be talking to every pro in this mock draft about their individual team and folks that they are targeting in the mid to late rounds. Everybody's got their list of guys that they want to go get. There's overlap, but there's also a lot of disagreement. And I would say this season, I thought it was, listen, here's a mea culpa to those that say Dan never says he's wrong. I was wrong when I thought last year was going to be the wacky year. It's this year. I don't know why. There wasn't that much roster movement. There was some. But for whatever reason, and I think it's the same reason that whatever. Yeah, two days ago, I think on the pod, I said something like, doesn't this week feel weird? Like, we're four weeks away from the start of the NBA season, but I don't know that anybody really feels like we're that close to the start of the NBA season. And I think this ties in with that where people had a really tough time holding the data from this offseason in their heads. I've suffered through a little bit of it as well. If I didn't have to stare at this stuff daily to do a show and to to just know the answers to things, I'd be right there with you. There's a pull, there's a rope tugging at me to just tune it all out. And I've had to fight with every fiber of my fantasy being not to do that. And that didn't really happen last year. The reason I don't think it happened during the weird COVID season is that by the time NBA came back last year, everybody was so damn ready for a fantasy moment. Not like you live out your fantasy, but anything fantasy relevant to happen. Because nothing had since March, even though we had basketball in the bubble, split up into these weird chunks of time off in between the regular season, the bubble, and then the bubble in the next regular season. This time around, we're in this new screwball atmosphere where we're supposed to have a full offseason, but somebody just went and gouged a month out of it. And no one's ready. No one's really ready after we had nine months, basically, to think about the last offseason. This time, we had less than usual. By the time the finals were over in July, you were talking about Well, that was two months ago. Finals ended two months ago. I haven't, and I I hate to say this because it it might, I I don't want it to turn anybody off of fantasy basketball or this podcast or anything of that nature, but I haven't had an offseason like the one I'm feeling right now. We are, again, 26 days from the start of the NBA season, and normally right now, I'd be just champing at the bit going crazy to get to my drafts and instead I'm still kind of trying to figure out when the hell they're going to happen with a lot of the leagues that I run we're still just kicking times around like it's not coming up so soon but it is and I don't know why there's this mental thing going on this offseason maybe it is just the month that went away but it's a weird offseason we didn't all get the rest we needed after this completely insane previous I guess it was like 15 months or so. Go figure. But regardless, we got to treat it like it's happening, even though it doesn't really feel like it's happening. So let's dive on in right out of the shoot. There's, I like to spend more time on the second round. So let's see how far we get on today's show. I think the first round, the question marks don't come up all that early. I'm also not going to list the team names 
of the picks that I'm talking about. I'm just going to talk about in order of slot. That way, when these pros come on the podcast, you'll know which one is which. Or if you want, you can go follow it on Twitter because I live tweeted the whole damn thing. We're six picks from the end of the draft right now. And you can go and look up every single freaking one of them. I have a tweet for every single pick. First pick overall, no question mark there. Nikola Jokic, easy enough. There has not been a single draft that I've been a part of where he doesn't go number one. Admittedly, I'm not in any super weird leagues, but I don't know that he would not go one in those either. Steph Curry went at pick number two, which is what's happening in expert leagues. I don't know if this is what's going to happen when your league comes to fruition. But what I can tell you is that as we've been doing this, you've seen Steph's numbers trending upward. Although, if you go to Yahoo's ADP analysis right now, the only movement over the last couple of days at the very, very tippy top is that Giannis is actually going uh, slightly earlier. He's sort of solidified himself as the number two ADP guy. Luca, Steph, I mean, they're, they're still in that same order. But Steph, I, probably because of all of these expert things happening early, has moved. He moved up a little bit at the beginning and then uh, kind of settled in. Anyway, um, Luka Doncic went third in this draft. That is happening a lot. Uh, although in this particular one, it happened because of the team that took him. And you'll find out who that is at some point in the not-too-distant future. You guys know that in 9-cat Roto, you couldn't pay me enough to take Luca at the number three spot. Uh, you, you pretty much have to build a team around his skills and deficiencies if you take him there, which even if you go by the Yahoo projections, like he finished in the 30s last year. He was an ultra-high volume, very poor foul shooter, and also one of the worst turnover guys in the NBA. You, you don't want to take a guy that early who has those types of severe fantasy issues. Yes, he's far better than the average basketball player in points, threes, rebounds, and assists. But he's actually sub-average in steals and blocks. He was very close to league average in field goal percent last year and then was just dis- just a miserable free throw and turnover guy. And this is 9-cat. That matters. It matters. The other teams at the top of your league are also going to use up all of their games played. It'd be best if you didn't lose to all of them in one category. Now, if you're punting both of those in a Roto League... Okay, be my guest. Yeah, you can make up for Luca's free throw stuff with picks later in the draft, but it's not easy because the best guys to set the pace on free throws are going in the first two rounds. Aside from like DeMar DeRozan going a little bit later, uh, Gallo, who's an ultra late guy these days, there really aren't big impact foul shooters that are being drafted outside the top, really, 15. Other than DeMar DeRozan, Chris Middleton was quite good in that department, and Brandon Ingram was extremely good in that department last year. But even those guys are going inside the top 35. Well, DeMar, I guess, is probably going back towards 60. But uh, look, the point is, the high-impact free-throw dudes, they're going in the top round and a half. Call it top 18, if you must. So if you use your first-round pick on a bad foul shooter, making up for that is really tough. 
It's why when people are like, well, what if you take someone like Rudy Gobert or Clint Capella in the second round? Here's why that's different. I know we're getting sidetracked by theory already, but whatever. You guys signed up for this podcast, so that's what you get. The theory here is, if you're taking Capella in the second round, it's probably because you're doing one of two things. You're either punting or Gobert. Well, Capella's not getting drafted in the second round. Rudy's pretty close to that. But I think they're, they're probably both leaning more towards end of the second, early third. You could call them thirds, I guess. In any event, that's not even the point. If you're taking those guys with, say, end of the second or early third, in all likelihood, you've either taken Giannis in the first and you're just bending into the punt already, or you took someone in the first who's quite good at foul shooting. Dame, Steph, Harden. By the way, can we point out for a second that Harden's free throw numbers probably trending down in his role in Brooklyn? He was fourth in the league in field goal percent impact last year. It was not the same he can carry a team all by himself in that category last season. That was Dame. Dame was the guy who kind of carried you in free throw percent. Harden was still very good. You know, took a lot. Eight free throws a game. Made 80, or seven and a half a game. Made 86% of them. So on and so forth. Uh, but he was, he was only very good. He wasn't great. He, actually, he was worse than third. Sorry, I got that way off the mark. He was like seventh in the league in free throw impact. But again, I get off topic. Point is, you've, you've done one of those two things. You've either started a punt and you're, you're continuing it with a Gobert or a Capella, or you took someone, maybe you have Steph, and you're pairing him with Capella or something to that effect. Or maybe you, uh, if you got Dame, there's probably a better option for you in the second round. So now you're probably thinking maybe this is your third round pick. So, you know, if you have Dame at like six or seven in the first round and your mid-second round pick is, oh, hell, I don't care. Maybe you took Freddie Van Vliet or did Bradley Beal fall to you or Paul George or I I don't care. Someone in the middle of the second round, someone who's pretty consistently going in the middle of the second round, Vooch. Point is there, you've now set a foundation of good foul shooting. Because if you had Dame and uh, Paul George as your first two picks, your team is a great foul shooting team after two, which you could either just like hold on to that, or you could knock out the two categories you're probably not going to get out of those guys you already talked about and take a Gobert. He cancels out most of the good stuff that Dame and Paul George have done for your free throw shooting, but you're still slightly above average because you spent that first round pick on a very good foul shooter or a second round pick even on a very good foul shooter. This is something that I want you guys to internalize as you build your team out. I always talk about how I hate punting categories. Taking one guy who's bad at a category only forces you into a punt if you did it in the first round. Because the guys, or really first round and a half, because the guys that are drafted after the first round and a half, or even the ra- after the first two rounds, aren't the guys that have that kind of single category monster positive influence thing without being like severe specialist types. Yeah, they're floating around. There's a very small handful. 
And some categories, there are more of them than others. Like, there are guys that are big-time rebounders that you can get later in the draft. If you take someone early who's not a very good rebounder, it's pretty freaking easy to make up for that. If Dame is your first rounder and he's only getting you four rebounds a game, you can cover that easily. But again, free throw percent in particular, I think probably the strongest example of this, there just aren't guys after the first 20 picks that are monster free throw percent positive dudes besides DeMar DeRozan, Brandon Ingram, and sort of Chris Middleton. That's really it. There are guys that are decent at it. Donovan Mitchell, decent positive free throw shooter. Kyle Lowry, decent positive free throw shooter. You go farther down the board, Kemba Walker actually was pretty good in that department last year. Norman Powell was pretty good. Jeremy Grant was pretty good. But here's the thing. If you took a guy like a Capella, or, sorry, let's, if you took Luca in the first round, you pretty much have to take someone in the second round who's a very good foul shooter. Otherwise, you're forcing yourself to take multiple good foul shooters later that might not really fit your build in other ways. Maybe you don't want DeMar DeRozan if you have Luka on your team. There's a little bit of a redundancy happening there. Like, a lot of bit of a redundancy happening there, other than free throw percent. That makes a lot more sense in a head-to-head league than a roto league. So that was something food for thought on the free throw stuff. It's why free throw punt is such a terrifically popular punt style, is because there just aren't good foul shooters after the first two rounds, really. So easy to lean into. It's not my favorite, but had a good punt discussion on yesterday's show. James Harden went fourth in this draft. That's totally fine. He's going to have a decent year. I don't know that the upside is quite there the way it has been in the past, and also I haven't seen whether or not he's carrying 40 pounds more than he should. So I don't know that he would necessarily be my guy at four with a couple of the other options that are still on the board, but I have no real problem with it. Dame goes fifth. I like that one. Dame, just nice quality. He'll be late first round on a per-game basis, and he'll probably club a lot of guys. Uh, By totals last year, he would have been number nine, basically, by per game, but he played 67 out of 72, so that's a really nice win. Kevin Durant went sixth. He is kind of the other side of that coin. We don't know how many games he's going to miss this year. Presumably, it's going to be a handful. But he was number seven on a per-game basis. And I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be that again. Other than you have to kind of continue to think, look, he's, he's on a team with Kyrie Irving and James Harden. You know, the role is going to be big, but it's not going to be KD with only one other superstar. And it's probably not going to be... Warriors style, although I guess there's a possibility you could get there as well. He's going to be really good, uh, and you can get away with it in Roto, because if you miss a few games, it's not the end of the world. Um, I'm terrified. Like, if I was in this exact spot, I don't think that I would have the stones to take KD, and I'm okay with that. I know that I'm going to be looking across the board, and I'm going to see these monster games from Kevin Durant, and I'm going to be jealous every time, but every time he misses a ball game and the guy that I took in the first round doesn't, I'm going to sit back in my chair and think, ah, phew, phew, thank goodness. Uh, Giannis, uh, sorry, Cat went seventh in this one. I'm a little bit down 
on Carl Anthony Towns. He was number 12 last year, and I know he wasn't healthy. He played 34 minutes a game, which is pretty average. 25 points, 11 rebounds. Field goal percent, kind of trending the wrong way with Cap because he's taking so many three-pointers these days. Blocks were down a bit last year. Free throws were fantastic, and I don't know if those might even come back down ever so slightly. I just, like, he's on a team now with D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Anthony Edwards. There probably just isn't quite the same need for him to take 19 shots a ball game. So a, a tapering off of usage would actually be a, a, a pretty big kick in the groin for Cat. Now at seven, I'm totally fine with it. I, you know, sometimes you see him go four or five. To me, that's too early. At seven, I don't see any massive problem with Carl Anthony Towns. Giannis went eight. Um, you probably got a punt. You probably just kind of have to with as bad as he is at free throw shooting. Now, if magically his free throws come around, he could probably be the number one guy in fantasy. I just, I don't really see that happening. Again, if you take Giannis early, and you're going to have to take him in the first if you do want Giannis. I don't. But you'll have to take him early. The next two picks, you basically have to take guys that are good foul shooters. Unless you're, like, dead set on DeMar DeRozan in the fourth or something too early for him. But he'll be helpful there he won't he won't cancel it out but you're going to spend the rest of your draft trying to cancel out Giannis's free throws unless you just punt uh old this was me by the way I might as well just give out give away myself I had the ninth pick I took Jason Tatum I was quite happy to get Tatum at nine I think this is going to be a good year for him he was 15 on a per game basis last year with everything going wrong so my guess is he's probably more like top 12 per game but I think with durability, he gets to nine and maybe even beyond that, as we saw with a guy like Vooch, who was basically that last year, but played 70 ball games, he ended up top three by totals. So Tatum could be a top three guy this year if he stays healthy, mostly because of the health part. Bradley Beal went at 10. That's a little earlier than I've seen him go, but I have no real problem with it. Joel Embiid at 11, you sort of, like, that's that's your take the big swing at that point. Uh, Embiid did finish at number 14 last year, missed 21 of their 72 ball games. I see no real reason to expect him not to miss another 21 ball games. And so for that reason, he's basically on my do not draft list. Even in Roto. Anthony Davis was the man on the turn in this draft, which is just crazy how the mighty have fallen. This is a guy who was, not long ago, the runaway number one player in fantasy basketball, and he just, he wasn't close to himself. Now, if Russell Westbrook had not come to town, I'd say Anthony Davis massive steal this season, but he did come to town. So for AD, there really isn't a big reason for him to ramp up the effort on a night-to-night basis during the regular season. They're going to they're gonna baby him a little bit this year. They kind of have to with the way that things fell apart late last season. So 22-8, and eight, three assists, three defensive stats. Maybe he goes a little higher than that this coming season. Good field goal percent. And then does he get the free throw shooting back together, or did this now become a thing for him? He's polarizing, man. If he's on the board at the turn, I don't know how you don't take him because... There aren't that many guys you can draft past, like, 
number seven that have actually been the runaway number one player in fantasy before. But Anthony Davis is one of them. Really, I mean, who else, how far could you possibly let him fall? If the free throw shooting comes back, he coasts to this spot on a per-game basis, but I just don't know that, th- that it will. I don't know that I can trust it. Second round is one I, I definitely want to take a long look at today as well. Um, Paul George opened up the second round. I like that. He's going to have a nice season. Kyrie went at 14 earlier than we've seen him go in a lot of drafts. I, I'm extremely curious where he goes in yours, and I might put out a poll on that at some point. Maybe not right away, but soon, because his ADP is 22 on Yahoo right now, and his pre-rank is 18. So even if he shifts towards that, you're still well behind the 14 marker. But again, if you have that 14th pick, you sure as crap ain't getting back to you. That ain't happening. I like Kyrie Irving. I actually have no real problem with taking him at 14 in a Roto League. You know, he's going to miss some ball games, but he'll be better than that on a per-game basis, even with that team healthy around him. And, frankly, who, who else is on the board here that can be a top-five per-game guy? Trey Young went next. He's not a top-five per-game guy. I am very much out on Trey Young another year. He was not good last season. 58 per game in nine-category leagues. Yeah, the four turnovers was a pretty big thorn in that side, but bad free throw percent, steals and blocks, not good. Scoring and assists were good, but they weren't transcendent the way that you kind of need them to be when you consider the fact that he's really only very good in three categories. I thought he was better in three-pointers without looking at the numbers, but he only hit 2.2 a game last year. That's fine, but it's not, you can't, that's not going to carry you. Uh, Bam Adebayo, that was me. Um, This was a really safe pick. I think if I was to do this one again, I probably would pick something else. Bam was number 19 per game last year. If he gets anywhere near there, the durability will carry him beyond that point. His totals value last season was 12, and he missed eight ballgames, which is actually kind of unusual for him. Look, you you can try to handicap durability. You're not going to always get it right, but Bam is consistently the self-proclaimed Iron Man. So you kind of go into it knowing you're going to get a game's bounce with Adebayo. He does not have the best per-game outlook of the guys on the board at this point. I took him at 16, and I can pick one, two, three, at least three, maybe more guys that went later in this same round that probably end up with a better per-game average than Adebayo. And uh, I just don't think that they play nearly as many games as he does. So perhaps I could have done this one over again. I'm not upset about it. You know me, durability, safety, first couple of rounds. If I get you know, 76 games out of Tatum and 77 games out of Adebayo, I'm going to be stoked. That's a lot of production out of your first rounders. Get him in there. You want him playing games, head to head or roto. Nikola Vucevic went at uh, 17 now, I think is where we're at. That's a pretty good spot for him. He's going to tail off a little bit this year in Chicago. He was number four last season. Won't get that great again. But I think he's going to play through nagging stuff, so I'm not too worried about the durability side. He was 11 per game last season. Probably falls back about a round. You know, top 20, 25 range, but with a little bit of durability, that gets him to this mark. So, yeah, no real problem with Vooch there either. He's a guy that I looked at 
as well. Possibility without Bam. Freddie Van Fleet went at 18. That is uh, a little earlier than he's been going in drafts, but he's another one who's kind of on the move these days. His ADP is now 27.4 on Yahoo. They adjusted his pre-rank up to 19. So his ADP moved from like 32. It's already up five slots. That's just going to keep going. And he's now a guy I think you can safely project to be drafted in the middle of the second round, which is, I mean, that's all well and good. He was number 16 per game last year. He's actually going to get to do more this season, but I don't like he, I don't think he survives the year healthy. If he plays more than the league average of games played, he's a huge steal, almost no matter where you get him. But I think you probably have to budget for him missing about 14 ball games. Anything less than that is a massive win. He's a guy who also kind of builds in a punt field goal mold, but you can wipe him out with a couple of big men who uh, preferably don't suck at foul shooting, but again, you can kind of get away with it. Michael Porter Jr. went at 19. He is close to getting priced out. He was number 27 per game last year. Uh, He was, like, not that far off of that mark after Jamal Murray went down even. It didn't change his numbers that much. He was kind of a mid to late second rounder, so he did move up a little bit. Shot 55% from the field over that stretch, 84% at the free throw line. I don't know that that number holds, the 55%, which was kind of, I don't know, it's a limited sample size. We're talking about 20, 25 games. Guys get hot, guys cool off. I think you're probably... You're hunting more like 51-52 with him would be very reasonable because he was hitting three and a half three-pointers a game over that stretch. That's a pretty untenable field goal percent for anyone who's basically not named Steph Curry and hitting that many three-pointers per ball game. So expect that to come back a little. Uh, I think the Porter Jr. freight train has probably gone too far. He was someone that I thought might be an interesting grab if he was getting drafted in the third round, but now we're talking mid-second. That's that's really something. 19 is super early. It's doable. And if he's healthy, you never know. I mean, that's the the question mark there. I don't have him handicapped as a hyper-healthy basketball player, but um, I don't know that he's necessarily injury-prone either. Remember, he came into the league with a lot of stuff going on, but since he's come back from that stuff, he's been generally fine other than COVID. Damanis Sabonis went at number uh, 20. That's too early for him on in my personal rank board. Sabonis number 26 on a per-game basis last year. I don't know how he gets better than that other than fixing his free-throw stroke. Thought his steals were also unseasonably high. And I actually have Sabonis earmarked for maybe a half-step backwards this season. So probably not my flavor at this juncture. Jimmy Butler at 21. I love that pick. There's absolutely no reason in hell why he should be going where he is, but he is. Yahoo, by the way, is going to screw it all up because they've moved his projections up to number 16 to try to look less stupid, and uh, they have, so good on them, I suppose. But yeah, Butler's very much a mid-second rounder at the very latest, and you could make an argument to take him on the turn. He probably won't go there. And this, by the way, is why I want to talk about the late second round, and maybe we do a few minutes on that even on today's show if... See if I can get this thing wrapped up here in the next five to ten minutes on the the mock part. If Jimmy Butler really does start going earlier, along with uh, Kyrie, Paul George, Vooch, Porter Jr., 
If these guys now start inching towards the front to middle of the second round, pretty much all of the guys that we were counting on to slip to us towards the back end of the second round aren't doing it anymore. Those guys are disappearing on us. And instead, we're now left with a different weird crop of guys that I don't really like all that much. Namely, the guys that are still on the board that, and I don't know where the hell LeBron James is going to go as as we sort of settle in. His, his, uh, his Yahoo pre-rank is 26, but he's still getting drafted at 13-14. So I assume... He's going to slide back, but it's still LeBron James, so it's possible that he doesn't, and then there's you know points leagues where he's going to keep that artificial bump uh, over his Yahoo projections. But with some of those other names off the board, the guys that are suddenly left now are LeBron James falling, Zach Levine, Zion is going towards the end of the second round, Julius Randle, Sabonis we just talked about, LaMelo Ball, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, DeAndre Ayton. This became a really weird crop of players to pick from towards the end of the second round. And then kind of the same crop right there at the front end of the third round. To me, there's an eight, maybe ten pick window. The last five of the second round and the first five of the third round that now looks really complicated because the guys, I mean, you're hearing me describe it. I like Jimmy Butler that went in there. Uh, Demonis Sabonis went in front of him, which I don't, I don't know that that's actually going to hold come real draft day for most of us. But then Zion went at 22, Zach Levine at 23, Donovan Mitchell at 24. I, I, Donovan Mitchell was number 46 on a per-game basis last year, and his per-game numbers aren't changing. That's who he is now. Donovan Mitchell is that guy, and has been for a while. I've been yelling about that on this podcast for a long time. Zach Levine took a big step forward with that monster field goal percent jump, but his usage is going to take a hit this year. So he was number 25 per game last year in what I thought was maybe the best season he could possibly put up. And we're expecting him to be better than that. Now, without the COVID absence... He does play more than the league average number of games. He would have been about uh, 65-ish, 66, 67, somewhere in that neck of the woods. So that would give him a little bit of a boost, a minor bonus boost. So yeah, he could hit his ADP at 22-23 if he stays healthy. Donovan Mitchell, he could actually get here if he played like 80 out of 82 ball games. yeah. But here's the thing. That's not really what you want. I know we talked about durability, and, and maybe you can make an argument that both of those guys are decent at it. Donovan Mitchell did miss a bunch of time this last year. And even if you extend it in the next round, guys like DeAndre Ayton, LaMelo Ball, Rudy Gobert, Devin Booker, Julius Randle. When I look at this, that group of guys, I'll remind all of you that the dude among that massive list who had the best per-game output last year was Gobert. He was four slots ahead of Zach Levine, and he played 13 more games than did Zach Levine. There's like 
there's not a league on the planet right now where I'm seeing Gobert go in front of Zach Levine, even though he roasted him last season in a fairly standard year for Gobert, other than the health side, pretty standard season, good block numbers, good field goal percent, big rebounds, that's the stuff, and a world-class all-star level year from Zach Levine, who had his best season ever. Gobert was like, fine, and he still cooked him. All of these guys are going in front. I would make the argument that as we sort of pare down on this, what I think is the first real trouble spot in a draft, and one that seems to be getting worse and not better, is if you have a pick in that spot, I think you can treat it almost like its own special 10 pick no man's land. Not that you just like not that you go get someone who's pre-ranked 100 cuz those guys just simply aren't as good. I like I know that Yahoo gets things wrong, but also the names way at the top of the board, they do tend to be a little bit better. But if you have a pick in those 10, which for my money right now is picks 20 through 24 at the end of the second round and 25, 6 7 8 9 10, I guess it's 10 ish basically like picks 20 through 30 roughly that you just go and get it you go and get it if you like someone who's generally going in the middle of the third round you go and get it i don't think you feel bad about it either if you wanted hell i don't know uh if you if you have picked 20 and all of your favorite guys are off the board and for us on this podcast, like those names are probably guys like Paul George, Kyrie, Bam, Vooch, Van Vliet, Jimmy Butler. If those guys are all gone at pick 20. I have no problem at all with going out and grabbing a guy like Rudy Gobert. None. You don't have to take LaMelo Ball or Zach Levine because, just because those guys are still out there. You don't have to. If you feel strongly in your tummy, <laughs> in your gut, that Zach Levine's going to take a step back from 25 to early 30s, something like that, 32, 34, you don't need to take him at 23. You don't even need to take him coming back in the third round at 28. Although, I could certainly get on board with it a little better there if he was still on the table. The games, to me, the gamesmanship at this juncture goes out the window because you could end up missing on the one guy out of those 10 that performs well. Is it Gobert? Is it like Clint Capella? Remember, he was number 23 per game last year. Is it Chris Paul? Am I... Am I Chris Paul enthusiast number one? I'm not only a member of the Chris Paul fan club, I'm also the president. Am I sleeping on Chris Paul this year? Is he actually going to be really good again? He's coming off a wrist surgery. We haven't had much of an update on him, have we? When did he go into the wrist surgery? Apparently he's supposed to be ready, but I don't know. We'll wait and find out. Am I sleeping on Chris Paul? Are we all sleeping on Drew Holiday, who was number 20 last year, but had a crazy deep playoff run and then played in the Olympics? Could he come through? 
Have we kicked Shea Gilgis-Alexander too far down the board? Or is it the other way around? Are some of the guys that are going in this range, should they be going in this range, just maybe more towards the back end of it? So if you have pick 20, maybe you go Gobert there because you feel like he's the safe one, and then you come back at pick 29, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, make sure I get my numbers right, and maybe that is where you look at Zach Levine or Aiton if you want to go two centers or... Nah, you couldn't pay me enough to take Julius Randle this year. I know he was fantastic, but he was number 39 on a per-game basis. I'm not, I'm not drafting a guy that far back per game and then just praying that the durability thing is the one that overcomes it. I, if I'm, I'm taking guys here, I'm looking for folks that are relatively durable and are also going to hit their mark on a per-game basis as well. And there, there just aren't as many in that chunk of 10. You have to venture out of it. There's a drop-off. Maybe Demonis Bonus slips to you a little bit. I don't like him at 20, but I love him at 29. I don't like Zion anywhere in this mix, unless you're punting. If you're punting, it's a different ballpark. LaMelo Ball? I don't think he's falling. I mean, he's just going to keep going earlier and earlier in every draft until he's getting taken in the middle of the second round. Like, his, the name is, is so powerful there. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, I'm not taking him in there. I'd skip over him. Jalen Brown, skipping over him. He went in this mix also. Devin Booker, no thanks. Even as I stare at it here while talking to you guys about it on the podcast, it's a weird goofball section. But I really, truly believe that your only way out of it is to treat picks 20 through basically like even beyond pick 30 Whatever the hell, but I only, you know, I picked 29 because that would be your pick coming back. But 20 right now seems to be a very real cutoff for where you kind of have to be okay with the next tier of guys. That's a bucket. A bucket ended at pick 20 this year. That's what's happening. So don't be caught with your pants down, man. Like this is. This is really important mental prep work, even beyond just writing out the names that you like. If you have the second or third pick in your draft, first round is going to be a lot of fun for you. Second round is going to be really goofy. Set your queue. Expect all of your favorite guys to be gone. If one of them makes it to you at 20 or 21, congratulations. That's a wonderful turn of events for you. Thank your lucky stars. If they make it to you to 22, even better. But assume that they won't and be ready to dive down the board a little bit, so to speak, for the guy that you, in your heart of hearts, know is going to be better than those other guys. If Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell each have healthy seasons, Gobert smokes him. If Rudy Gobert and Zach Levine each have healthy seasons, I think Gobert smokes him. DeAndre Ayton, that's Gobert again. I think the only name on this board in that group where you might see, like, what if LaMelo Ball has a world-class jump year over year? There's enough unknown with him where you could make an argument that he could maybe win that thing. I mean, Chris Paul, like, again, he's going near 30. He's going after 30. If you want to take him at pick 22, I don't care. I probably wouldn't because there is that injury thing hanging over him, but I don't think that there's an obvious choice at that spot and uh, I might bug Brew about that on tomorrow's show as well. I know we're set to talk about the weirdness of the first round, but I kind of want to talk about the weirdness of the second round with the man who's won more fantasy 
everythings than pretty much anybody else. Okay, we'll put a pin in this one for today. Uh, we'll come back on Monday. Well, Friday, tomorrow, we'll talk to Brew. Monday, we'll continue our journey through this mock draft. And uh, whenever we finish up that, then we'll start talking to some of the pros in it. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. I totally forgot to do promo on today's show, but you guys know the drill. If you want to be in a hoop ball league, if you want to be a recruit for hoop ball, hit me up on Twitter at Dan Vespers or email teamhoopball at hoopdashball.com. And please do hit subscribe, rate, and review the pod. Those things are of critical importance. I will love you forever. You heard it. To the end of time, rate and review the pod. Hit that subscribe button. We'll love you till the end of time. Have a great Thursday, everybody. We'll talk to you all again tomorrow. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.